I feel that a lot of organizations start by talking, but we don't have a problem with sexual harassment. We don't have that kind of problems here. Mm, well, you do. You just don't know about it. And one day, one person will step forward and be the brave one, and you better be prepared. Sexual harassment happens everywhere, and media organizations are certainly not immune. They may even be prime places for it to happen. The thing with journalism is we tend to work long hours, we tend to collaborate in the way we work, and people live with the sexual harassment for either they're worried about their jobs or, you know. So you have to listen to the people who are complaining. Listen, listen to them, because the moment they complain and nothing is done, then they cease to trust in the system. And once a system is broken, then people take advantage of that. Welcome to The Backstory, a podcast from Wanifra, the World Association of News Publishers. I'm Andy Heslop, Wanifra's Press Freedom Executive Director. This season, we're working with Wanifra's Women in News program, a groundbreaking effort to promote gender equality throughout the news industry. In six episodes, we're looking at the opportunities and the challenges faced by women in the media around the world. In this episode, sexual harassment, how media organizations can identify it, address it with policies, and why that's ultimately good for journalists and for the media industry in general. Previously, we've talked about online harassment and physical safety, issues that women journalists face when doing their jobs. That's out in the field, but they also face problems at work, in the newsroom. As women increasingly come forward with stories of harassment and uncomfortable work environments, media organisations are realising that they need to address it. When you don't address it, obviously you create a very toxic culture in the workplace. And you, I think for women, certainly, would you want to stay as a journalist in an organisation where sexual harassment is accepted by managers? And so it leads to a brain drain, and that's going to also impact your eventual bottom line, your ability to produce you know, diverse and rich content, and you're going to lose that untapped talent um, that you could have if you did create environments where individuals felt that they were treated equally and with respect. How do you create an organisation and a work culture where sexual harassment doesn't happen? And how do you address it when it does? One day in 2019, an editor at the New Times in Rwanda alerted CEO Colin Harbour about a problem. At the beginning of 2019, someone put out a complaint and said, there's this person who sexually harassed me. And that person was uh, our employee. And then we got really concerned and said that, look here, as a media house, we are very good at holding other people accountable. But now we are the ones on the spot. How is our news organization like? How is it faring? The New Times employs 60 full-time journalists and another 20 freelancers. As Haber told Backstory producer Mariona Sanz, the organisation did not have a sexual harassment policy until the 2019 incident. By the time a complaint is out there, maybe it is time to internally evaluate how things are going on inside. So once that complaint came up, immediately we held a staff meeting and uh, we started discussing these things. We employ very many young people who are out of university or who are about to complete their universities, and they're very easy targets. 
for sexual harassment. We decided to sit with them and talk to them, ask them, what are your experiences like? Do you feel safe? And so many complaints came up. They even went ahead and told us the things that they would like to change. And as an organization, we listened. So we immediately put together the different departments and said, guys, we need to address this. And that's how it all started. So you first listened to all this. You say you were surprised by the amount of potential cases. What uh, first steps did you take? The first step we took was to listen, especially to the women in the newsroom. What has their experience been like? And I can tell you that people were sitting with all this discomfort. They were sitting with all these, you know, like even one showed us text messages and they were like, can you imagine someone sending to me a message like this? And they could only keep quiet. So we, one of the, our priorities was to put in place a mechanism for bringing forward these complaints. Identifying the need for a mechanism, a policy, to deal with sexual harassment is one thing. But where do you start? The first thing is to define the issue. Sexual harassment is unwanted and offensive behavior of a sexual nature that violates a person's dignity and makes them feel degraded, humiliated, intimidated, or threatened. Melanie Walker is the executive director of Winifra's Women in News, or WIN program, which has identified sexual harassment in news organizations as a key problem for gender equality in general. She explained to Backstory producer Sarah Elsas that it's important to realize that sexual harassment is not always about sex. And there's no specific list of what is or is not sexual harassment, because it's about power. What counts is the person on the receiving end of an interaction, and how he or she perceives and experiences the situation. If person A behaves in a certain way that makes person B feel uncomfortable, degraded, intimidated or threatened, that is what constitutes sexual harassment. It is not the intention of the person who may be conducting that behavior. And I think that's what makes sexual harassment as an issue, um, you know, there is a lot of nuance and it is a complicated issue because many of the people who may be behaving in a certain way have no intention of making the other person feel degraded or humiliated or powerless. It's important to understand that, that sexual harassment is not about sex. It's not about showing your approval or your happiness It's about power. There's a power imbalance there. And so you're going to look at a case of, of harassment very differently if it's between peers than if it's between, you know, someone who's in a position of power who may be acting in a way that makes the person on the receiving end feel that they do not have that power. So sexual harassment happens in all industries all over the place, in and out of work. But we're talking specifically about media organizations. There is also a feeling that, well, if you're a journalist, you're in a media organization, maybe you should be above this. Is there a feeling of maybe like, no, this, this shouldn't affect us, but actually it does? Well, I think certainly in newsrooms and particularly in you know, the print industry, it's no secret that uh, anyone who's worked in a newsroom, they, they are you know, male-dominated Uh, environments often. There's a legacy of there being a certain sort of newsroom culture that might not embrace, let's say, uh, em embrace safe spaces. And there's the stereotype of the macho, you know, journalist going out to get the story no matter what and the sort of boys club. Yeah, uh, the boys club. I was trying to avoid using that <laughs> word, but it, of course it exists. 
And I do also think that there are certain environmental factors that can also open up further the risk that would be more specific to newsrooms. Uh, you're working late hours, you're working around the clock, there's a lot of adrenaline. And of course, you know, anytime you throw in sort of alcohol to the mix that, that um, increases that dynamic, certainly that is changing. I do want to preface that. Um, but um, often, you know, there's, you have to approach it from multiple fronts. And also a lot of journalists in this day and age are freelancers, right? And say they don't necessarily feel that they could speak up if something makes them uncomfortable. Who do you, who do you report it to? That's where the power dynamics really come into. And that's where it can be so insidious is that that freelancer or that junior reporter who's, who's got, you know, their line manager um, or the person who has contracted them out is the problem and is the one behaving inappropriately. Where do you escalate that to? The sexual harassment policy gives clear guidance on acceptable and unacceptable behaviours for staff at the company. It also lays out a process for journalists and staff to report sexual harassment and for the media organisation to handle the complaints. Organisations should have policies because sexual harassment will happen. Don't start a discussion about whether you have or do not have a problem. Just be comfortable in, ha, huh, we probably have a problem with sexual harassment, but I don't know about it. One day, one person will step forward, and when one person steps forward, all the others will follow. So you better be prepared with policies, action plan, how do you handle the situation? Karen Anderson is the Human Resources Director of MIT Media in Sweden. Like New Times in Rwanda, MIT Media had its own incident that sparked a move to come up with a sexual harassment policy. In 2017, a sports reporter told her manager that she'd been sexually harassed while covering a hockey game. That editor told Anderson, who says she was surprised. I've been sexually harassed many times in my working life. I have my own experience. But it's, maybe it's because I've become older or because I've had higher positions in the company. I haven't been sexually harassed for many years and I, I was so stupid. I, I thought maybe the world had become better. Anderson and the editor helped the reporter approach the hockey club to get an apology. In the process of dealing with the incident, Anderson found deeper problems in the company itself, which counts some 1,500 employees all over Sweden, 500 of them as journalists. As she told Mariana Sanz, it started when she talked to and listened to the reporter. I'd had a meeting with her, and she told me not only about sexual harassment going on when, when she was working, she told me about we, the company, uh, the organization, were, were not treating her the same way as her male colleagues. We had recruited 17 women to the sports department over the last years, so I decided to gather them all, and they shared their stories. And it was, it was terrible. It was a big wake-up call. And we didn't have any sexual harassment policy. We didn't have any, any statement from me as an HR director or from our CEO or from our editors-in-chief that we didn't accept sexual harassment. And all in took was one woman who stood up and said, I don't accept this. And she also wrote a column about it, which was spread all over Sweden. 
And I decided to write the policy very fast and discuss it with our top management team. And we communicated that in MidMedia, we do not accept any kind of sexual harassment, zero tolerance. And we were very clear on, we, we cannot change the whole society, but we want you to report every single sexual harassment because we need to work against it. And every time it happens, we will support you either to file a, a police report or to take a contact with a person who has sexually harassed you. You have to feel safe to be able to explain what you have just experienced as a, as a victim. So how do you sensitize your staff on this? Well, I think when our CEO and our editors-in-chief became aware of how common sexual harassment was, we started to talk about it and agreed on that it's we don't accept it. And when we communicated that, I imagine that most women, there are men also that are being harassed, but became more, felt more safe and more comfortable in speaking about. And also we, we shared no matter who, you contact, but please contact either HR or your manager or the union or a colleague. Don't keep it to yourself. And we were also communicating a little tougher towards management that this is your responsibility. You are the one who we will hold accountable for creating a safe environment. But I think talking about sexual harassment, how to create a safe environment with zero tolerance for sexual harassment was the biggest step. At the New Times in Rwanda, after the 2019 incident, the organization decided it needed a sexual harassment policy. CEO Colin Haber said it was important for it to be very clear and extremely detailed. One of the things we did was to divide into different sections that help explain what exactly is unacceptable behavior. So there was the physical, there was the verbal written, and then there was the non-verbal. But we also pointed out that it doesn't limit to this because we needed it to be as clear as possible what behavior is acceptable and what is totally not acceptable. So after pointing that out, we put a committee that is responsible for receiving these complaints, addressing these complaints, and following up to make sure that whatever has been agreed upon or decided upon is being implemented. Of course, even up to today, one of our biggest challenges is people coming forward. And we put in place a suggestion box, which is hidden, you wouldn't see it unless, and we told people, okay, fine, it's here, it's on your way to the toilet. If you're going to the toilet, which is a really a private area, you will not miss the suggestion box. And then, of course, there are email mechanisms where, like, you can write anonymously, you don't have to identify 
who exactly it is, but at least give us as much detail as possible about a specific case. So those are the things that we put in place. I think that what is very challenging is to convince your staff that it's safe to communicate any incidents. Yes, that's very, very important because it's difficult for them to come forward. But once they know that there is a mechanism for me to put forward my complaint, then it becomes a safer place to work. You have to listen to the people who are complaining. Listen, listen to them. Because the moment they complain and nothing is done, then they cease to trust in the system. I must also add that we do accept complaints from people who witness. So it may not be the victim, but it's someone who has witnessed. We really encourage them to come forward and point this out so that at least we are able to address it before it gets any further. Coming up with a policy from scratch is a big endeavour. The Women in News programme developed a handbook after looking for media-specific resources and coming up empty-handed. As Melanie Walker explains. One of our overall objectives is to increase gender balance in the organisation and in news content. Uh, Sexual harassment obviously has been an issue that's come to the fore. We discovered in our conversations and coaching and mentoring with women media professionals, we realised just how rampant it actually is in many newsrooms. Uh, This, of course, came up to us sort of anecdotally, very uncomfortable to talk about. People, you know, were very embarrassed and very ashamed. Why the shame? Why is it embarrassing? Well, I think it is an uncomfortable subject to talk about anyway. Sex is uncomfortable. But also you ask yourself, well, what, you know, what did I do to attract this kind of attention? Should I have not worked late that hour? Should I not have you know, accepted that that invitation to to sit next to that person in the cafeteria or to, you know, whatever, whatever the context. And I think, you know, in in a number of cultures, it is a taboo subject. Sex is a taboo subject. And, you know, you combine that with, with a sort of machismo culture and, or the culture of silence is entrenched. And it was from that point that anecdotally, when we started hearing about it um, and trying to kind of help individuals manage this, we realized that the only way that we could actually try to bring about change would be to create some concrete tools and resources. And we realized that there was very little and certainly nothing that would be tailored to the news media industry. There was one international labor organization, standard sexual harassment policy template, and it was very generalized. So we said, okay, well, we need to create our own. And that was when we started work on the Sexual Harassment Toolkit, which we released in 2018. It is a handbook that provides definitions, and it also attempts to provide some practical resources. The Sexual Harassment Handbook at womeninnews.org includes steps to take if you're on the receiving end of sexual harassment and if you're accused. There is information for editors and managers and communications tools like email templates and correspondence for human resource managers. It provides practical steps to consider, but ultimately, when addressing sexual harassment, it's about an organization's culture. I think the most important thing about a sexual harassment policy is that it's something that is used and understood. It's not just a paragraph that says we do not accept any kind of sexual harassment and with a definition. Uh, Of course, that is the first step, but you need to also ensure that more information is provided. What is acceptable behavior? What is unacceptable behavior? 
what could a policy do to put something in place to establish a culture where people could say, hey, you know, your hugs makes me uncomfortable. Can you stop? And nobody will get offended. Well, you hit the nail on the head there. A policy on its own won't do anything. That organizational culture needs to be set from the very top. And so if you don't have the CEO, if you don't have the editor-in-chief, if you don't have everyone on the masthead buying into that concept of a zero-tolerance environment for sexual harassment, it won't change. The change needs to come from the top. Absolutely. A policy is not going to do it on its own. Um, Like anything, uh, it's just a piece of paper with words on it until management and managers start living it and showing in their words and behavior that they understand and they embrace something. And that's not going to happen without the sensitization. So this isn't necessarily something for individual journalists or editors who are really going to be able to change anything unless they get buy-in from the big bosses. You need sensitization throughout. Everyone in the newsroom needs to understand what's acceptable behavior and what's not. You can't walk up to somebody and slap them in the face. That's just not acceptable behavior. Just like that, you know, you can't sexually harass people. So obviously there needs to be a clear understanding of what is sexual harassment, what isn't, what is acceptable behavior, what is unacceptable behavior. Managers need to understand that. Owners need to understand that. Editors need to understand that. For Colin Harbour of the New Times in Rwanda, getting staff to understand and embrace the new sexual harassment policy took a bit of work. So majority of the staff embraced it. Uh, Of course, we did have a few cases who were like, oh, but you know, the Rwandan culture, sometimes hugging is acceptable because we do hug a lot. We're very affectionate. And it was like, how do I make sure that I am crossing the line? Most of the concerns that were being raised were people not really understanding what is acceptable or not acceptable. But we made it clear right from the start that, you know, this is a professional workspace do not get into anything that's uncomfortable for someone else or that can be perceived as uncomfortable for your colleague. Unfortunately, we've had to let go of three people since we put this in place uh, after investigating and throughout the whole process. Basically, we fired three people and that sent a very, very strong message that this is something that is totally unacceptable in the company, right? So once the staff realize that this is a no-go area, then the workplace becomes much safer. So at the beginning, they were like giving excuses. Of course, people work together. They work for long hours and people end up getting comfortable and all these kind of things. But at least now everyone understands that this kind of behavior is totally unacceptable and this is the repercussion. The most important is not to point out the person who is responsible for sexual harassment and becoming criminal and fired. My focus is on solving the problem, keeping both of them within the company, working together in the future. Karen Anderson has all new hires in MitMedia in Sweden read the company's sexual harassment policy, and she makes sure they understand it. She sees the policy as part of a more general code of conduct, part of the organization's core values. For that, everyone needs to be educated, and it needs to be a discussion. As an HR, I would try to talk to the person who are harassing, and I would for sure 
accept if the one who has been abused or harassed is anonymous, and that is the role as an HR to to facilitate that discussion, and hopefully the harasser will will say like I'm sorry. This will not happen again, and in the best of worlds, they will continue to work, not maybe together, but but at the same company. But that doesn't work every time. There are times when you actually have sexual harassment been going on for so long, and you actually need to fire the the harasser. You've been also advocating for the need of having sexual harassment policies in place with other media outlets internationally. So you've met CEOs, managers of different media outlets in different regions. Have you seen many differences? It is a global problem. And I've heard some stories where sexual harassment is uh, coming from the top of the organization. And those organizations has a huge problem. It's everywhere, irrespective of culture, irrespective of the organization. Again, wind director Melanie Walker. Well, the actions may be different based on a culture. If the person on the receiving end feels that whatever the action is, is inappropriate, then that is what makes the definition. Can we talk about regional sexual harassment? Does it manifest itself differently? So here's a, a specific example. In Egypt, you actually can be visually harassed. You can actually look at someone, and if that person is made to feel uncomfortable, made to feel physically violated by that person's look, then that can constitute as sexual harassment. Whereas in another context, that same look might not have warranted any kind of reaction. It might not even be noticed. Again, it's important not to get stuck on the specifics of, well, Is that person's actions actually harassment? In some parts of the world, conservative values and different approaches to women's rights makes it difficult to introduce sexual harassment policies. Mira Abdallah says Lebanon is a good example. She's a Lebanese journalist and wins Arab region trainer on managing sexual harassment in the workplace. There are a lot of people in Lebanon who still do not see sexual harassment as a serious issue. And they see it as something individual and as an individual issue. And they don't see it as a social or a national issue. And we have a lot of people who are still blaming uh, women who uh, experience sexual harassment. Lebanese media is starting to address sexual harassment. But Abdallah says they are doing so in a more generalized culture of silencing women's voices. She told Backstory producer Colette Davidson that the October 2019 revolution in Lebanon brought the issue of women's rights to the fore. The revolution was a turning point in a lot of conversations that are uh, related to gender in general. Because for the first time in Lebanon, we see women leading protests and women leading the revolution. They brought women's rights in general. They brought also sexual harassment, bullying, uh, blackmailing, and a lot of other issues. And it also helped empowering other women journalists into not being intimidated by harassment that was during the revolution was happening on the street, especially uh, when protesters wanted to silence a journalist or a reporter. They were trying to intimidate them by sexually harassing them, even uh, live on TV. 
So the reaction of women journalists, how they reacted, how they objected, and how they spoke about this harassment, it was a very important moment for other women journalists not to be intimidated by this. What role has the media played in all of this, pushing the conversation further when it comes to sexual harassment? Media played a very important role in the conversation about sexual harassment in Lebanon because it normalized talking about sexual harassment. So we see a lot of talk shows tackling this issue, a lot of women journalists themselves exposing harassers and breaking the silence. Today, when we talk about sexual harassment, even though not everyone is convinced that this is a national issue, but at least they heard or they've participated in this conversation. So this shift was actually achieved by the media. Sexual harassment is talked about more than before in Lebanon, but Abdallah says media groups have been slow to address it in their own organisations. The mainstream media do not have standalone policies. Sometimes they include that they ban any sort of harassment, but it's just, uh, you know, a one sentence in a code of conduct. So it's not enough. And then we don't see a lot of media organisations supporting women journalists when they experience harassment. There are a few media organizations, especially uh, the new media organizations and uh, websites that do have an internal uh, sexual harassment policy. In general, it's a zero tolerance policy and they have a set of rules or actions to be taken against harassers. But in these organizations, we never heard of a harassment story, at least that went public. And we don't know if this happened, how they've dealt with in Lebanon. So if we can look outside Lebanon to the rest of the MENA region, um, are there any sexual harassment policies in place that you know of that have been effective for women in the media? I know that a few countries in uh, the MENA region have already banned sexual harassment as a law, but I don't think the law is the only problem. The society is the, the main player in this because We're still living in a region where if a woman is harassed, she would be silenced by her family, for example, or by her circle of friends because she would be ruining the family's reputation. She would be uh, endangering her own reputation, etc. So we've been living in many years and many centuries of silencing women. And do you see any countries where things are starting to progress a little bit in that way? Yeah, I think... In all countries, it's starting to progress because the conversation about sexual harassment has a snowball effect. Very recently, we saw the the big uh, sexual harassment campaign on social media in Egypt. And the first and important thing that I personally see happening is that talking about sexual harassment is not a taboo anymore. Even if reporting sexual harassment is still a taboo, but we see a lot of women coming forward exposing harassers even if there's a big backlash against them, but at least they are doing so. How is the media viewed by the general population? For example, if the media or women journalists bring up the issue of harassment in articles or on on TV, is this something that the public is going to listen to? Well, uh, generally, there is mistrust in media organizations in Lebanon, because throughout the years, media organizations were very tightly linked to political parties. But 
COVID-19 changed things because people were looking for credible sources of information. And this lack of trust in media organizations have pushed them to go to new media. So these small media organizations were actually founded based on human rights values, including gender rights and sexual harassment. So trusting uh, a media organization that has uh, human rights values means actually trusting also whenever they speak about sexual harassment, they will trust the news they are bringing. So do sexual harassment policies work? Yes, says Colin Haber, CEO of the New Times in Rwanda. So we have already seen less cases. I would say in the first year since we, we implemented it, we had four cases. And in the second year, we haven't had any case so far, right? But, I must add a but, the most important thing is to constantly evaluate your internal mechanisms and see if there is a better way to encourage people to come forward. We constantly have to make sure that we tell people, look here, it's okay, you can report, there'll be no repercussion, or we'll try and make it as safe as possible. Because we are not taking it for granted that because people are not bringing their cases forward, it means that we've eliminated the problem. We don't want to ever be in a place where we believe that there's nothing going on. We just want to make sure that we create an environment for people to freely come forward with their complaints. And this, he says, is good for business. So there's a lot to benefit from having this policy and making sure people's workplaces are safe. Because uh, the thing with journalism is we tend to work long hours, we tend to collaborate in the way we work, and people will be more comfortable or will be more comfortable in doing what they're supposed to do if the workplace is comfortable. People will want to work with you. Building a strong, healthy culture in an organization will have an impact on the bottom line. You will make more money. I'm sure you will make more money because to attract and keep talented people, that is one of the most crucial areas for the business. And a person who is feeling uncomfortable at work will not be as productive as a person who feels safe and love the job every day. People will do a better job. They like being there. They will be less ill, not as many days uh, staying home, being sick, because a toxic environment will make you sick. People that are very talented, the one you really want to keep, are the first one to leave if they don't feel comfortable or safe working together with you. Taking actions to prevent sexual harassment from happening is like taking a company insurance because it will hurt your brand. It will hurt the revenue. People will stop buying ads in your paper when there is a huge story going on about sexual harassment. They don't want to hang around with you. So it's business to take care of your people in the organization. If you're looking to create or refine a sexual harassment policy in your media organisation, find the Sexual Harassment Handbook in the Resources section on the Women in News website. That's womeninnews.org. 
For more information about the people and the news organizations featured in this episode, visit the Press Freedom section of the WANIFRA website. That's wan-ifra.org. For all of our episodes, find the backstory on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss a new one. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.